Welcome to Building Conversations, a construction podcast powered by the STO Building Group. On today's episode, Structure Tone London's Business Development Director, Richard Irwin, speaks with three mission-critical market experts. Join John Wilson, Director at SMBC and Specialist in Data Center Financing, Will King, Managing Director of DC Byte, and Jason Monks, Mission Critical Project Director at Structure Tone Dublin, to hear about the state of the data center market in the UK and across Europe today, and what to expect in the future. Hello all and welcome to this STO Mission Critical podcast. Today we're going to be looking at the, the European market the dynamics, uh, what's been happening over the last year uh, with the pandemic, and really an opportunity to discuss what the opportunity is for new entrants into the market, where the market's going, and uh, some of the unique challenges that the European market brings. So today I'm joined by three esteemed guests, John Wilson from SNBC, Will King from DC Byte, and our own Jason Monks from Structure Tone in Ireland. And I'll let each of the guys do their individual introductions. So John, if you want to go first. Yes, of course, Richard, hi, and uh, hello everybody. So I work for SNBC. We are a global investment bank and we provide debt finance to data center operators globally, be that in the Americas, in Asia, or myself in Europe. We have full underwriting capability, which means that as projects have got larger, we can underwrite entire transactions and then syndicate to other banks post-closing, removing execution risk for customers. Um, I've been doing this for about 10 years, Richard. Wow, you're looking young. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I was with RBS before that, focusing on the UK, and then I joined SNBC a couple of years ago to finance um, and look at data centres in the European region. So looking forward to the discussion. Excellent. Thank you. Will, over to you. Thanks, Richard. Hi, I'm Will, and I work for DC Byte. Uh, DC Byte is a research and analytics platform for the data center industry, covering both the EMEA and APAC region at the moment and expanding into the Americas. At DC Byte, we look at all the different metrics for the data industry, whether it's supply, take up, the type of market it is, from wholesale to retail to, um, to the cloud and enterprise to co-location uh, space. We also produce custom research reports for our clients as well. Fantastic. Thank you, Will. And uh, Jason, over to yourself. Cheers, colleague. Uh, my name is Jason Monks. I'm the director for STL Mission Critical based in Dublin. Work throughout Ireland, close affiliations with the UK and some of our European partners as well. Do a lot with them. I'm 13 years with Structure Tone and looking forward to the next 13, uh, particularly working with Richard, who's going to bring me lots of work over to Ireland. <laughs> Fantastic. So finally, I'll, I'll introduce myself. So Richard Irwin, I'm the Business Development Director for Structure Tone Mission Critical, based in London. And as Jason says, I work very closely with our, our Irish team and uh, hopefully bringing you lots of work in due course, Jason. So, uh, right, chaps, uh, we'll hopefully have a, an educated conversation. And with the guests we have today, I'm sure it will be. So I thought we'd start just kind of an overview from your perspective on the market over the last 12 months. Obviously, it's brought its own unique challenges with the pandemic, but you know, has that really affected the data center market? So, uh, so John, what's, what have you seen in terms of your world? I'll answer that from a finance perspective, and then maybe Will can sort of talk about the market in a bit more detail. But I think from our side in the banking sector, I think you know, clearly the pandemic has highlighted just how important the sector is. And I think this has helped to focus certainly new investors and banks into the sector. 
many of whom I think have shifted from more traditional forms of infrastructure investment, be that airports or uh, hospitals or roads or whatnot. Um, and I think it's certainly helpful having additional investors come into the space because, as you know, Richard, you know, there's no one type of typical data centre. You know, the different investors have different risk appetites, be it for construction projects, be it selling leaseback, be it developing brown or greenfield sites. Um, so I think having a good choice of debt and capital is pretty helpful. And I think it's I don't think debt and capital either is mutually exclusive. The debt follows the right equity. And we certainly followed that in the early parts of the pandemic as well, when the credit markets were tightening. But certainly there's a lot of appetite now for, for debt and capital in this space. What I would say is I think there's no substitute for experience when choosing your debt or capital provider. And certainly, you know, we're seeing that speed to market is key. And the one thing operators don't have uh, is time to educate the investors. But no, in summary, it's pretty buoyant and, you know, good prospects going forward for certainly the next two or three years. That's that's great news for us all. And, and Will, have you seen the same? Obviously, you you track the market very closely, not just in Europe, but in other regions as well. Yeah, absolutely. We have. We've seen a lot of new investors coming to us for advice on the market in a sector they hadn't traditionally looked at. I think, interestingly, we've seen a lot of operators now starting to look at other markets as well, as opposed to just the traditional markets um, that you normally saw people looking at. So we're seeing uh, record levels of growth in the likes of Madrid, Milan, Warsaw, Copenhagen, for instance. It's not just the usual flap and Dublin as well as it's part of. I think we're seeing that now spread across pretty much everywhere and anywhere that hasn't seen any yet we're expecting to come through fairly soon as well so we're all data center people well and you you mentioned an acronym there which i'm very familiar with but the flap what, what do you mean by that apologies there absolutely so frankfurt london amsterdam paris and dublin which is what has been the traditional large markets in europe but i think now we're seeing other markets exceed actually some of those already there are certain markets that um, are larger than some of the flap and uh, I think the other key when looking at these markets as well is what of it is pure co-location space and what if it is actually self-build by the hyperscalers because that can make certain markets that seem smaller actually quite significantly larger than they are. Well, uh, you know, we mentioned the different types of market segment we have. Uh, you know, there's the enterprise, the hyperscalers, self-build, build the suit. Do you want to give us a little bit of an overview as to, you know, what the different market segments are and how we classify those? Yeah, absolutely. So firstly, we covered into enterprise and co-location. As part of the enterprise market, we then define whether it's, say, a financial services company or a retail company or whether it's one of the hyperscalers, the hyperscalers being the large global tech companies and predominantly the public cloud operators. And then in the co-location side, we then split that into whether it's retail co-location, so selling the small amounts of co-location, um, wholesale co-location, so large chunks of co-location, and the build to suit market where it's built directly normally for a hyperscaler um, public cloud operator but the data center is built to the specification for per, purely for them and uh, the typical hyperscalers would be google aws microsoft facebook apple potentially so exactly and then you know in some markets say like uh, amsterdam for instance which is really interesting you're seeing the market get split really ev evenly between these different sectors for instance, you've got retail co-location, which is 25% of the market, wholesale co-location, which is 30% of the market, build to suit, which is 17%, and then hyperscale self-build, 
So it's quite a it's quite an evenly split market there. Okay, and does that vary from market to market? It does, but we're not aware of any market that's quite as evenly split as that. Um, you know, if you look at say Frankfurt and London, they're overwhelmingly wholesale markets, and if you look at Dublin, that's and Copenhagen, for instance, they're overwhelmingly hyperscale self build markets. Okay, and and just the the wholesale colo, that's what sort of companies would be going into those sort of premises. So the likes of Digital Realty, Advantage, Cyrus One. Their clients would be what finance institutions, people like that. I think anybody looking for large space, it could be the public cloud operators again, it could be institutions, but anyone who wants sort of large amounts, probably megawatts and above amounts of space. Okay. And the retail is really when you're just after a couple of racks or something, is that correct? Exactly. And that would be, I think in Europe, we would predominantly think of Interaction or Equinix there. Okay, interesting. And Jason, I suppose bringing it a bit closer to home for you, what's the Irish market been doing over the last 12 months? It's, it's very hectic still on the hyperscale. Um, we've got four of the five big hypers based here in the greater Dublin region. Um, further expansion by all of them. Um, lots of articles about the likes of AWS, Google, Microsoft expansions, Facebook. Um, the only one we're missing is Apple, but I'm sure we'll get them back at some stage. We're seeing a, quite a resurgence in the wholesale and built-to-suit market, particularly the built-to-suit market. A lot of guys coming in, building specifically for hyperscale developments or wholesale large customers. I'm very buoyant, and I know we, myself and yourself have talked recently, Richard, about the volume of inquiries coming in for future developments, which gives us a lot of optimism and tying in what John said, the next two to three years we see a, a lot of development opportunities in this part of the world. Just to echo what uh, Jason is saying there, you know, at the moment we're tracking that 82% of the live capacity in Dublin is, is self-built by the hyperscalers. And that's 82% of 510 megawatts. So that's 510 megawatts of the 621 that's currently live. That being said, though, we're also tracking 99 megawatts of capacity under construction by the wholesalers and build-to-suit companies, which shows you how much more is coming online. Good news for all of us if uh, it continues to come in. But I suppose, John, to, to really support this, this growth, there's a lot of capital has to be raised. And you mentioned before the sort of the investment models. Are you seeing a change in those investment models, you know, new operate or new people coming into the market? If you think about how data centers are funded currently, you've got two components, Richard. You've got the equity and you've got debt. Typically, equity goes in first at the speculative stage. And then debt, which is, much, which is much cheaper, can be accessed when, as Jason would say, a hyperscaler is secured. And if you think about what's going on in the marketplace at the moment, it's the operators with the, the best relationships with the hyperscalers. They're build, basically building what they want, where they want and when they want, and typically funding these on a project by project basis. I think the challenge is how much capital needs to be spent before the hyperscaler is secured. Because, you know, you've got a lot of costs that are typically funded from equity, be that the cost of the land, the cost of the permitting and the planning. And these are all necessary uh, costs that you are required to spend if you're going to deliver the speed to market. I think the good news is that investors now are far better educated and they understand it takes time uh, and the impacts on the return. And then typically what happens, you see the actual quantum's been required by the, the operators. That the, the amounts are, much, are getting so much bigger than ever before. And therefore, you know, you need banks and funders who can underwrite and take on board the whole project and then syndicate after the event. And that's definitely a trend we're seeing now more and more. Thank you. And, and Will, just to touch upon, you, you mentioned the, 
the European the geography is changing. What's what's actually driving that? Do you think? Now, why are we moving out of those traditional markets? Yeah, so I think I mean it comes back to the the hyperscalers again. So a lot a lot of that growth is being driven by them. As their platforms expand, what we're seeing is they're looking to create new cloud regions and availability zones in more countries. So I can't say I fully understand exactly how they work or, or the reasons behind it, but uh, but we are seeing that a lot of their demand drive that growth for operators into new markets. Very good. And in terms of those traditional markets, like sort of the London, you know, Dublin, Amsterdam, uh, Frankfurt, uh, you know, are we seeing new hotspots or new areas inside the UK and Ireland, for example, west coast of West coast of Ireland, I think, Jason, you've seen some activity there. Yeah, you're right, Richard. We're starting to see the regions start to capitalise on the opportunities that they have. Um, they're not oversaturated, such as the main conurbations, whether it be Dublin, Paris, London, Frankfurt. So you go to Cork or you go out to the west coast of Ireland, there's opportunities out there for development. The essential key things are power and connectivity. Land, you can always make land available, but when you get the power and the connectivity, people will go there and we're seeing a lot of inquiries coming through that were never evident before for Cork where we're looking at a, a potential development down there for a, a large-scale user who will take a whole facility of potentially 64 megawatts five years ago you wouldn't have thought of Cork but it's got great interconnectivity connected to uh, Europe by a lower latency than out of Dublin and also a lot of uh, good connectivity on the west coast of Ireland and with the onset of renewable energy the huge development in offshore wind capacity, we could effectively need data centers to use up some of this abundant wind power that's going to be generated over the next five to seven years. Wow, so there's actually a need to use the energy that's been generated rather than in some regions there's not enough energy to actually facilitate the data center spells. That's a, that's a unique position for the West Coast to be in. So, Will, in terms of obviously discussed Ireland, are we seeing similar things happen in, in the other European more mature markets, I would say? I think in the mature markets, we're seeing the demand still concentrate in the um, established zones. You know, And one thing that we're seeing in, say, London and Frankfurt at the moment is a, a phrase we're coining power banking, but we're seeing lots and lots of data center operators secure power and planning for sites, but they're not actually bringing to construction just yet. What we're tracking is planned capacity in London. We're seeing 537 megawatts, and in Frankfurt, we're seeing 576 megawatts. So in terms of Frankfurt, that's enough to double the size of the market, which is just a vast amount. And that, that's planned rather than actual you know, spade in the ground type scenario? Exactly. We class under construction as where it's being fitted out with M&E. So it could be that some of this is built but not being fitted out at the moment. But in other markets, say, for instance, if we take uh, the Madrid data center markets, we're seeing where these zones aren't already established. We're seeing new areas created. For instance, the uh, cluster of data centers being developed in Zaragoza, just outside. So there are opportunities maybe in the, the newer markets, but in the established, um, we're still seeing the same concentration there. That being said, though, it is expected in the future that new zones will be created as they become more concentrated. Okay, interesting, interesting. And I suppose, John, from a, from a, you know, actually securing the capital to deliver these, you know, if somebody comes to you and said they're going to build speculatively, is that something you would entertain or is it very much, you know, before the capital is released, you need to see an end client or is it, is it, is it just a trend of land bank and power bank at the minute? I think the speculative stage has historically been funded by equity as they secure the land and get all the necessary permitting and planning in place. What I would say is that um, 
we've seen operators become a lot more agile in terms of not only where they're likely to invest, but also the operators themselves and the platforms being set up through the pandemic. Um, you know, you're seeing new platforms set up with management teams being assembled and they may be on either sides of the Atlantic and you know they may well be looking towards investing into Asia in back into the US or wherever so I think the market's become a lot more fluid and and clearly this whole concept around following the hyperscaler into the new regions that Will was talking about just now is certainly something that we're seeing and I suppose being a global funder having effectively the ability to deliver the same product across different regions is incredibly helpful for the operators because the last thing they want to do is to have to go and source separate funding in every part of the world they're in. So having a, a global partner, I think, is, is pretty key. So if, if I was you know, coming to Europe and I, I wanted to build a data center and I needed to raise some capital and I, I come to you with my business plan, you know, what's important on my business plan, you know, what do you want to say? You know, for example, design team, construction partners, are, are they any relevance at this stage at all? Or is it, is it all about, I don't know, is it all about where you've got your piece of land? Obviously, the, assuming you have the right site or sites uh, under control, absolutely, then it comes down to the quality of the relationship you have with the hyperscaler. Uh, and that goes then, that speaks to then the management team being assembled. For the, for the platform. And also, you know, you'll be glad to know something that we look very hard at is the ability to deliver the product and deliver on time. So it's all about the construction and design parties as well. And I think that's become more relevant also to infrastructure investors who are increasingly looking at the quality of the various parties involved in order to grade the transaction and therefore think about who would be best placed to fund it as well. So yes, absolutely. Quality of construction, quality of design, as well as quality of the management team are absolutely key to us. Fantastic. That's good news for us, definitely. And, and Jason, in terms of the inquiries, I suppose we're getting into, into Ireland, so what, I suppose, what level of you know, design are we actually getting when it's coming to us? Or is it very speculative? I know in the past we've helped people secure portions of land with planning or power and being able to give that advice? Do, do we still see that requirement? It's a broad question. It's going to be a broad answer, Richard. So an example, um, a speculative development in the region has come through with very minimal design with some unknown partners looking for us to help them localize a design that's been applied in the US successfully. But it's very uh, high level, it's concept, but the intention then is to turn it into something more feasible. With a lot of the longer, more established players, and particularly in the, the wholesale and retail market, and the build to suit, there's a lot more emphasis put into design methodology, and actually designing around the end user requirements. So getting your cooling, your distribution, correct for the potential tenant that's coming in and as that potential te tenant becomes a defined tenant and someone that's signed up to a lease it's the ability to then to take their requirements and tweak the design it's really everything and in the middle um, I wish to say there, were, there was a nice stage that you get things like a stage three or four but not really applicable um, and it's all dependent on on who you're building for and who is doing the development of course, of course. And Will, you, you obviously have an eagle eye on the entire market. In terms of companies that are coming to you today and asking for that information, do you see that the type of organisations changing or who's interested in this market today? We're seeing new entrants, absolutely. But there's often similar people involved in it, whether that's similar investors or similar uh, people in the management team. 
but uh, we are certainly seeing new entrants enter the market. We're seeing people come in from new regions as well. They might already have established themselves in other markets, but they've seen their markets become a little bit more established. So they're looking to sort of locate in other places as well, whether that's in the established, say, flat markets or whether that's looking at um, somewhere like Warsaw or Milan, as we mentioned before. But a lot of the people we're talking to are people you'd expect to speak to. Okay. And if you have an established US data center provider and they're coming to to Europe, what advice would you give them, Will? You know this market well. What should they look out for? What's different apart from the language? Well, I think I would echo some of the points already made by John and Jason there. I mean, location is absolutely key. Um, A lot of these markets geographically are much smaller than some of, say, the US markets. It's similar to more places like Hong Kong or Singapore, for instance, some of them where it's you, you need to develop higher because there's less land available. Connectivity is very different as well. It's a lot more openly available in the US, whereas it's harder here. Every country has different regulations around power and how you secure power. So that's different again. I think it's understanding that developing across every country will be very, very different and you need local expertise in pretty much all of them. Fantastic. And John, would you would you echo that when you're talking to people about new investments? I've written a question down here. What's most important? Power, location, connectivity, latency, sustainability, design, power supply. Rank it. It's probably impossible. Uh, I, th- I think, yeah, Richard, I mean, all, all of the above. Um, I think all those things will be key from our perspective when we're looking at new projects. You know, we're looking at the life of the the project and I think certainly from our point of view considering the location and considering the releasing risk at the end of term is certainly a consideration for us I would say but I I would come back to what you were saying earlier in terms of if you're going to uh, invest into Europe then make sure you've got the right people around you you know it's it's the European market is a really interesting one but it's you know it's made up of different countries with different um, sensitivities and different regulations as well. So really understanding what's required to deliver on time um, in the chosen location is absolutely key, I think. Okay, perfect. And Jason, do you have anything to add there? I do, and it's something both Will and John have said, and Will used the same word I'm going to use, localization. Localizing to the requirements of the development, the end user, and what you can do in that market. And we see that quite a lot, particularly with U.S. vendors coming over, whether it's for development or supply of service, such as design, etc. You could get 80 to 90% of what the tenant wants right, but that last 10 to 20%, whatever it may be, depending on the design stage, is key. And you need local support, local friends, a local network to navigate that, whether it's a power connection, a fiber connectivity, a framework agreement for supply of major equipment, or literally design and construction services. Localization, I think, is key for the European market. Yeah, a great piece of advice and definitely something that I would, I would echo. And, and the great news is that the next podcast in this series actually looks at design in the European market and what you need to look out for. So hold fire on that. We'll talk a lot more next time with design companies, uh, architects and uh, uh, engineering practices who are in that all day long. So, uh, so guys, I, I think it's been a, a really interesting conversation, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one more question to each of you now. So what's going to happen in the next 12 months? What happens next, John? You know, you've probably done your, your outlook and your forecast. So uh, what do we expect? We expect to see increased activity, partly helped by the projects that are ongoing, but also the, the projects that, that may have got delayed during the last year. I think we continue to expect to see the 
industry become increasingly global. So as Will said, expect to see new locations. I think there will be strong appetite for new operator platforms to consider these locations as well across the globe. And I think you'll also see a lot of focus and attention on where and when the hyperscalers will increasingly self-perform as well. So in the locations where they're not, then I think speed to market for the operators will be absolutely key. And that's something that we're really focused on. I think also, we haven't spoken about this, but also keeping an eye on what's going on in the Nordics as well. Talking to the operators up there, they are very confident of the positive impact on demand for sites when AI really starts to take off. And I think the comment that was made to me the other day was they think this isn't a wave that has really hit the shore yet. But no, I think project size will only get bigger. And so absolutely choose the right partner, be it construction, be it funding or be it advisory. Fantastic. And Will, to you, what do you think is going to happen next in some of the, the existing markets, the London market especially, which has traditionally been really hot? I mean, the London market has seen huge um, levels of power banking. Um, it's also got quite, it's got a significant level under construction, although in comparison to what's being power banked, that's actually quite small. So I think expect to see more happen there. Also expect in the not too distant future to see new regions, I think, develop around London as the capacity comes uh, constrained in other parts of it. I just also echo what John said about um, locations, you know, expect to see a lot of new locations across Europe. At the moment, we're expecting 475 megawatts of self-build capacity to be delivered this year by the hyperscalers, and that is only across seven countries. So as they expand their own footprint across more countries, expect to see a, a lot more of that, but also I think build to suit is really going to start coming to the fore. I think it will become more and more important as a sector um, and, and probably you'll see wholesale as a percentage of the market diminish and build to suit becoming larger. Is anybody building their own data centers these days in the banking sector? I'm just thinking it used to be the stalwart of our clients, but do you see any of that anymore? We are actually seeing a data center being developed by a financial service company in Madrid at the moment. Not sure if I'm aware of any others, but uh, there is one due to be delivered this year in Madrid. Wow. So they still happen from time to time then. They still happen. <laughs> Very good. And Jason, in, in the in your market in Ireland and I suppose in structured on it as a whole in terms of what we're expecting to see over the next 12 months across Europe. I think what we're seeing across the whole STO mission critical group, Richard, in all our offices, and that's probably about 50, 55 offices, is a catch up from last year. Inquiries that were handbraked have been released, whether that's on site location feasibility through to construction and delivery services. We're seeing that handbrake being lifted off, especially after the first quarter of this year. It's nearly a threefold increase in inquiries that we're getting on Q2 of 2020. But I'll see in the next 12 months um, quite a lot of developments and design regarding on site battery storage, onshore battery storage, particularly to do with the offshore wind developments. Quite a lot of activity on, on that, quite a lot of permits going in for large-scale battery storage adjacent to HV stations. So we see the whole data center becoming a campus development. So if you've got that HV capability to take in transmission utility power and distribute it down to DMV networks within the data center, and you've got a renewable, the key there, renewable source of energy, I think that's key for the data center people that need to build because we need to be more renewable as we go forward. And if you've got a region or a location that can give an abundance of renewable energy, but in a stable, deployed format, I think that's going to be really interesting in the next 12, maybe even 24 months. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, 
I think we'll, we'll definitely touch upon that in our, our next podcast in terms of the design for the European market. You know, is, it, is it different and what, what, what are the criteria that are coming through in terms of that design, whether it's designing for renewables, just sustainability or capacity or, or, the, or the different you know, build to suit type applications we're now seeing. So, so anyway, chaps, I just want to say thank you very much. It's been a, a very enjoyable and enlightening conversation, as I knew it would be. So uh, thank you, guys. And I'll probably just sign off and say goodbye. John, Will, Jason, thank you very much. Gentlemen, it was a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Building Conversations. For more episodes like this, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or the Structure Tone website.